0: You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast Conversations on Faith, Life, and Leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. We live in a culture that has elevated what you feel to the seat of truth. What you feel becomes your perspective on life and your impulse to action. But Pastor Jim explains why feelings should be seen as followers, not leaders. This conversation will help you gain better perspective about what you are feeling and help you build the emotional capacity necessary for stamina and longevity in ministry. You'll learn to stop asking what you're feeling and gain the necessary skills to begin asking why you're feeling it. You'll also get some examples of the way in which your thinking can impact what you're feeling. It's a really practical conversation, a helpful one, one that helped me gain some better perspective and I know will for you too. Thanks for listening. Well, Pastor Jim, it's good to be together, and uh, we're continuing some conversations in the last section of your book, which is really on stamina. So lead so that others can follow the final section of it, is how do we have stamina for ministry, perseverance through ministry. Last week we talked about uh, how physical health is a key component of that stamina— and this week, we want to talk about the topic of, of emotional capacity. You, you write at the beginning of that chapter uh, these two phrases, that you want ministers to have missional courage, which sounds familiar to some of our past mm-hmm. conversations, the importance right. of mission. But then you pair that with this phrase, you want them to have that missional courage and emotional capacity. What is emotional capacity, and why do you put it connected to something as critical I know as missional courage?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. It's great to sit with you again, uh, Chase, and talk about stamina. Wow, what a huge subject. I know you, you, you're you a lot younger than I am, but um, both of us are, I think, giving careful thought at these stages in life that we are to stamina. And I, I would have at one time probably just said Your leadership requires missional courage, but um, as I grew older as i started hitting some rough spots in ministry you get criticized you get hurt you get you get tired um i as i at times push myself probably too hard physically uh, with just just really long hours not resting enough um, I, I began to i began to realize that all this affects me not just spiritually but emotionally and uh, and emotions are very real parts of us. It's part of our it's part of our brain chemistry. It's related to our physiology. Uh, so as we said last week, when we talk about physical health, you you can't like separate these pieces. And and as I looked at at the leadership task, and then as I started to listen to people, like people I respect, who once in a while would say. I think emotional capacity is the make or break issue in leadership longevity or even the effectiveness of a leader. Then you read like Ed Freeman talk about self-differentiation and the ability to be sensitive to anxieties around you, but but be that non-anxious presence not caving in. I mean, that's an immense amount of emotional management. We talked about change management is emotional management. Uh, You know, I just came to to realize, you know, I always, when I was young and, you know, just kind of full of the spirit, which I want to be now too, but, but I, I just always talked about the spiritual part of it, but I didn't, I, I didn't have the insight with, with lack of experience and things that, that, that I think I've gained now to realize that our capacity emotionally to bounce back, our capacity to cope, our capacity to keep going at tasks and trying again with new energy, um, it, it does require a certain emotional capacity. And I've seen when that emotional capacity is not there, it's very difficult to lead.
0: You write in the book that feelings, these emotional experiences um are often are often not the cause but the effect of something that you can actually right. pay attention to these things and not just see them as truth i feel this way therefore final conclusion that's w- what it is but that they're kind of indicative often of other things going on and it's that awareness um that's a critical piece of this having this emotional capacity over a long period of time the stamina of being able to yeah. deal with those emotions
1: yeah it helped me it helped me to 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 eventually learn that that i live in a culture that makes feelings the leader of everything i do what i feel like you know i was a teenager in the 60s if it feels good do it uh i fall into love i fall out of love and so what and so that will affect whether i'm loyal to another person or not how i feel we we've we, we've uh, deified feelings uh in in our culture when when feelings were never designed to be leaders, feelings are followers. They, they, they are not the cause; they're um, they're the effect. And and feelings are, are really affected, foundationally, by what we tell ourselves. By and we can get very biblical here. You know, the truth, um, telling yourself the truth. Uh, what it is you believe about yourself? What is it you believe about your self worth? What all that self-talk inside of us, how we interpret events like you and I could, could experience exactly the same thing, but interpret it in very different ways. And you could come out of that event, a happy camper and I could come out of it depressed because of how I take that one event and my perception of what happened. And then my self-talk gives its meaning, gives that perception, some kind of meaning to me and, and that will affect how I feel. And so, you know, um, right thinking ought to lead us, not feel, and feelings ought to follow that because that's the way it works in our lives. But what we've done is reverse that and make feelings a leader and uh, and then let how we feel determine how we're cognitively going to reinterpret the world around us. That's a very frustrating way to live. I mean, it's appealing at first, but it's very frustrating because you all, you want to feel good, right? So, so I'm going to do what makes me feel good, but those feelings really are the product of what you're telling yourself in the first place. So you've got to be very careful how that, how that works. And I'm not a, a PhD psychologist by any means, but I have come to really appreciate the power of truth and, and, uh, and and, and, I, and the power of what Paul said when he said, whatever's pure, whatever is good, whatever is holy, think on these things. I mean there there is just a redemptive discipline in our brains that that, that that becomes a part of our spirituality. It doesn't fight our spirituality if we're just focusing on the lies and and everything that's wrong. And so th- th- that's how I see feelings being followers rather than leaders. And that's a pretty significant shift from kind of where our our culture tends to take us.
0: What strikes me is most people probably haven't stopped to think that that process is going on, or no. I'm really struck by the idea that what I'm feeling which is often what I think is the beginning of that pursuit. Like I'm feeling something, so something has changed or something new has happened, but it probably is connected to something I've already been thinking or already telling myself that's forming my reaction to that situation. Um, How do you get... How do you get enough perspective to 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 see that to start paying attention to it um because it feels like most people are living myself included at times in such a reactionary state, yeah that to be able to get that kind of perspective to say, okay, what are the what is the narrative that I've been living out of this story, this way of thinking that may be creating this feeling um how do you get that perspective? Pay attention uh, to that yeah
1: at at some point you've you you've got to you've got to start asking your question, yourself the question not like we ask ourselves how am i feeling we ask the how you know how am i feeling right now how am i feeling right now and is that good or bad what if instead of how am i feeling we started just saying but why i mean so you you answer the question how but you don't stop there then you go to but why am i feeling the way i'm feeling about this right now i mean what is the worst thing that could happen here or so so what is it that I'm really believing about myself? Uh and 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 get to the uh self-talk, get to the underlying assumptions that we live by. You can do some of that yourself, but probably we all need help. That's why I, I just am a believer, get, getting the word of God into my life, just filling my life with truth. Here's here's not what I feel, but here's what God's Word says God thinks about me, and here's what God's Word says about who I am, and and just continuing to renew your mind around the truths of God's Word and the gospel. Um, I mean, what if you actually became convinced that you were loved by a holy God, that you were a child of the King, that you were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you had the authority of His Word in your life, that you were more than a conqueror? And I'm This is going past positive thinking, because positive thinking often doesn't have a foundation of truth to it. I can jump off a building and think positively, but I'll still hit the ground, right? It doesn't have a foundation to it. So I'm all for positive thinking at some level, but you've got to have, you know, positive thinking could be also delusional thinking. It's got to be rooted in truth. So you fill yourself with the the love of God. The other thing I would say is, if you're really struggling with a lot of negative emotions all the time, um, you may want to seek some professional help, possibly from a medical doctor. Um I had a friend who was struggling with just incredible incredible, just normally a happy camper, but in her thirties she started just struggling with, with just depression. And that's a complicated issue, but but she said, I was just praying, God, why am I feeling the way? And she said, I kept f I kept hearing the words go see a dentist. And she said, I, I just that seemed like totally off the wall to me. What, what do you mean, go see a dentist? God, I feel lousy I'm emotionally. I mean, why am I so down? And, and she said, finally, it was so persistent. It, you know, she was a spirit-filled woman of God. She, wanted, she had an abscess that was pouring poison into her system. It was upsetting her biochemical balance. She she got the tooth pulled and and she was back to being a happy camper. And the Lord has spoken to her. Uh, so I, I think there can be physiological issues to abnormal uh, feelings as well. Although, although ultimately, ultimately, you know, what you say to yourself, what you believe, those foundational things um, are, are really definitive. But sometimes it can be physiological issues. So go to a me- medical professional if you need, or go um, get counseling because sometimes it's in counseling that we really learn to separate the truth from the lie in us. Like I remember uh, uh, somebody, she said to me, I, I, she was really struggling and, and so she went and got some professional counseling from a Christian counselor, but she also had times where we would at church lay hands on her and pray for her. I, I remember uh, like about a year after that, and she would really come into some healing and health. She said she said, "When you laid hands on me, I mean something happened in me. It didn't happen when I went to see the counselor." Um, it was the power, something I some the power of God, like, touched me and began to heal me. But when I went to the counselor, something happened to me that didn't happen when you laid hands on me. He helped me understand all the lies I was buying into and, uh, and how I needed to replace that with truth. And that began just to f- affect my whole disposition. So, you, you know, usually to really sort out under the surface what we're really believing, we often need. Other people's helps help to
0: sort that out. You do a good job in the book of giving some examples of these ways of thinking that can sometimes create feelings, emotions that maybe are not productive. Um, And I think, you know, these are obviously examples that people will resonate with. Uh, They're meant to be read as, hey, could this be true of me? But you're also teaching people that very process of how do I step back and evaluate the kinds of narratives, the things that I'm saying to myself. And specifically, these tend to be uh, the ones you give as examples related to those who are leading some of the kind of thinking that goes into it. And I wanted to walk through a few of them. Um, one of the first that you describe is a performance-driven way of thinking. What is a performance way of thinking that can sometimes create these emotions, create right. these feelings?
1: Yeah, and the, all of these four will be very emotionally depleting um, ways of thinking. Uh, the uh, the performance-driven thinker uh, believes that they are what they do and their identity is tied up in their performance. So we have said before when the who I am circle and the what I do circle they need to overlap but when they coincide completely you've lost all the reference points for your identity. Uh you've lost yourself and you you just are what you do. Well that's an interesting thought. I mean I am what I do. Uh you know what sometimes I'm not what I do doesn't always work. Sometimes it's not successful. Sometimes the sermon kind of flopped a little bit or at least didn't meet my expectations. Um, and what if I retire someday? Then, if I am what I do, then who am I after I retire? And, and you don't have to wait till you retire. A lot of people hit midlife crisis and have a traumatic time in midlife crisis because those two circles have overlapped too much. You are what you do. Everything's performing. You tend not to have enough friendships. Too much of your identity is tied into your work success and you've neglected family relationships at the same time all of that is a prescription for midlife crisis using midlife crisis suddenly you, you have to go from who what you're asking yourself less what do i do because you've learned some core skills already by the time you hit your mid 40s but then you start asking the question but who am, who am i and it, and if there's no way to answer that outside of what you do you hit You hit a hard hard time. So I I am what I do. Just that performance-driven thinking. I mean, everything about my identity, everything about my worth for Jesus depends on how productive I am for Jesus. And, you know, when I hit the wall with this at 29 years old, the Lord set me aside, asked me to spend every Saturday night on a date with Him, and I couldn't pray for the church. I couldn't pray for what I do. It was just me and Jesus. I had to realize that I was his treasure even when I wasn't being productive. But meanwhile, the Lord was saying, you're so productive for me and you do so much for me. It's like you and I don't know each other anymore. So.
0: Yeah, and I guess the way this ends up creating those emotional experiences, somebody can be experiencing this um, lack of fulfillment, this sort of restlessness, and not be able to articulate where that's coming from and say, look, I've been successful, things have been going well, why am I feeling this, what it is, and not, not be able to connect it to this sort of pattern of thinking that's yeah. been developing over decades. Yeah. Um, the second one of those you describe is perfection-based thinking. Um, what is the danger of perfection-based thinking?
1: The performance-based thinking believes I am what I do. Perfection-based thinking says, and what I do, I need to do perfectly. So there's an impossible standard. You will always be failing your own expectation. Your self-talk will go crazy. And and that too will, will affect you emotionally. I think the performance-driven thinker is handicapped at certain points in their lives, um, like you said. And, and uh, I get fired. I don't perform that well. I, I mean, you know, you start, you start f- f- i mean those are all very negative feeling producing kinds of events the perfection is like the perfection centered person is it just is like on steroids this is this is performance driven thinking on steroids with this additional expectation that you can't do things without doing them perfectly so those those people are sometimes procrastinators I'll put off doing something uh until I feel like I can do it perfectly. Sometimes I've known leaders who who get a little too passive because they won't try something until all the ducks are lined up in a row. Everything's perfect. And uh, and, and, and what you do is you're just constantly disappointing yourself. Um, It's a very impossible standard to live with, that what I do, I have to do perfectly. And you're also hard to live with. (laughs) You're a perfectionist uh you're you're inducing um you're inducing some negative emotions in the people around you too because uh it's tough to live with a, with a perfectionist um who you perceive you never match their standards and uh, you know my wife's a self-confessed semi-perfectionist the big thing she says is that my perfection on a scale of 1 to 10 doesn't allow a 5 it's just either Either it's all it's all terrible or it's all wonderful, and I, just, I, I can't I can't think in those nuanced intermediate. Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's fine. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, yeah. This might be wrong. That might be wrong. Or I have a pastor, and he's great at this and this and this, but he's not great at that. So therefore, he's not a good pastor. At all, right? It, it's like
0: yeah, it's either what it's supposed to be or it's not what it's supposed exactly. to be. Exactly. And if there's yeah. something wrong yeah. with it, the whole thing is wrong. Right. So, yeah. Yep.
1: And and I know my wife has really battled the emotional repercussions of the all or nothing.
0: Uh, both of these first two have really been about uh, kind of dealing with yourself, right? So the self-talk is about my performance, about my achievement, the perfection. It impacts the people around you. Um, But in the third one, you talk about there's a narrative, a way of thinking that is all about people-pleasing and the dangers of it.
1: Uh, People-pleasing. Jesus accused some of his religious critics of loving the approval of people more than the approval of God. You know, do we fear God? People more than we fear God, uh, so there's a lot of spiritual implications to this one. But when it comes to when it comes to our emotional lives, this is a very depleting system of thinking as well, because we just are always that narrative is always there. What do people think about what I'm doing? Um, it's just an exhausting narrative. It just wears you out emotionally, and uh, and, and and you probably then start to put too much identity into what people think about you. And it's counterintuitive because in ministry, it's generally hard to lead people that don't like you. I mean, in a ministry, you know, if we're going to lead people somewhere, um, the, you know, we need in some ways their approval, uh, their affection, their, their you know, uh, their love probably. In the sense that that you know that they want to follow it, they want to go with us. You, you don't do that with somebody; you just detest. And and uh, and so, and so for us to lead effectively, uh, people have to buy in and and get excited about it. And isn't this wonderful? And our church is moving ahead, and and everything. So if I'm leading that moving ahead process, uh, I, I need people responding positively to me. However, you can cross a line in which, at an identity level, you just need people liking you too much, and pretty soon, and the danger of this kind of, especially leadership, in in, in a in a religious setting like this, a spiritual leadership, uh, you, you can you can subtly cross a line when all your life, sometimes this manifests in pastors later in their life, all their life, I mean, their success has been so conditioned in people responding favorably to them that pretty soon you, you don't, you, it has become a part of your identity. You, you just need people always to be responding favorably to you. And uh, the fact is, is like being a perfectionist. I mean, if every, if, if you're expecting everything to be perfect, forget it. Uh, you're living in a fantasy world, and and you're setting yourself up for nothing but disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And the same is if 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 you're living in two people pleasing. This is a big one for me. This is a big one for I don't know if you you struggle with it, Chase.
0: But yeah, but I was di- gonna say uh, the season of COVID seemed to be an opportunity oh, yeah. for me to realize how much I did struggle oh, with I people know. pleasing because when all of a sudden it was impossible to please everyone, yeah. you real I realized how much how much emotion that created in me, you know, know. just the ability to make a decision. It was, I found it more challenging than I thought it would be.
1: Exactly. I experienced exactly the same thing, COVID. And, um, and you know, kind of uh, the political discourse and the real, and even it's overlapping to moral issues that would be biblical issues. I mean, it's hard. I mean, these days you're just walking on eggshells, right? I mean, you get judged for anything you say in a little bit the wrong way. And you get judged also for what you don't say. And, uh, you know, and you get letters on this. At least I do some. And, you you know, I mean, it, it, I can just get into emotional turmoil over all these things. And so I've just got to, you know, this is what, this is why missional courage is important in leadership. Remember we said leadership is requires missional courage as well as emotional capacity. And, and you're not going to please everybody. And it can really do a number on you um, emotionally. If, if, if you're not careful, you don't want to go the other hand and well, where I'm just, I'm just isolated from people or I could care less what anybody feels. No, obviously you don't want to do that. We love people. We care about them. And, 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 and we want to learn from our critics too. But just this idea of constantly, constantly needing to please people to feel good about myself, uh, it will be a no win thing. You're going to hit the wall emotionally eventually.
0: The final of those four that you cover in the book is a problem centered thinking. Maybe mm-hmm. not as initially obvious as the other three. What right. do you mean by a problem centered thinking? Yeah.
1: You know, years ago, I was, out of my personal prayer life, I found myself kind of resisting, like, I had to push myself to go pray because I'd, I'd start prayer feeling fine. By the time I was done my prayer time, I wasn't feeling fine because. Prayer requests remind you of all the all the hard things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, your prayer requests aren't usually about things that are going well. They're things about not going well. It's not usually your prayer requests aren't for people who are healthy; it's people who are sick in the hospital, right? And so, I just found myself getting loaded down in prayer uh, with, oh yeah, it just reminded me. All the people are hurting out there all all the needs out there all you know your your list can depress you if you're not careful so i yeah I, I know my... this
0: this has been for me if I could say one of the real challenges of pastoral ministry that I've sort of struggled with as well too, and that I know most of the people with smaller congregation, so I know at any given time what all of the major needs are, what all the major pains you know the parent who may have a child who's not serving the Lord or somebody who's you know waiting results on a terrible. Uh, diagnosis, or someone whose family, close family members passed away, and, you know, to carry all of those things as a pastor in the way that I want to, you know, you, you're right. Like, you mm-hmm. can end up—it does a number on your emotions. It leaves you feeling—in yes. a, a way that's unfair to come home when right. you, the kids and your wife have yeah. had a great day, and all of yeah. a sudden you're emotionally yeah. down when nothing <laughs> technically has gone bad in your day, right. but you carry so much of those problems yeah. that you know exist.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I just prayed for a half hour, and now I feel really lousy. Yeah, I know everything <laughs> you know, I just, wrong. Yeah. I just feel down. I just feel weighed under the weight of the world. And it doesn't help you in anything. Any, I mean, it, it deplete, I found it depleting. And um, I, I became convicted that sometimes prayer had become more an exercise in worry than it was an exercise in faith. And I had to really begin to reframe this. Plus, I just have a disp- a bit of a disposition Towards looking on the negative side of things, I'll never forget. I was a teenager. I don't know what the, I don't know what the discussion was at the family table about a trip we were going to take or something we were going to do, and I, I was I was, and I immediately gravitated. I must have made some comment about why it wouldn't work. And I remember. My, I guess it had become a pattern in my life. Uh, and this is the only time my dad ever said anything to me like this about this. But my dad just said, Jim, why do you always look at the negative side of everything? And so I do have a little bit of a disposition towards that. Like if I'm not careful, I can see the dark side of things rather than the possibilities. And so I've I, I have had to learn to see that transformed in my life, change my thinking, trust God's Spirit. And, you know, I love the fact that the whole, that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is actually faith. It's one of the, like, nine gifts in First Corinthians 12, along with your healing and and the word of wisdom, and the word of knowledge. It's actually a gift of the Holy Spirit faith, and um, I, I want to pray with faith, and so I want to focus on God's greatness, the greatness of God, not the greatness of my problems. I, I just found that that problem-centered thinking early in my life was starting to become a bit of a pattern, as so I was always way, walking under the weight of the world, whereas Jesus then comes along, and he just Blows my categories by saying, "Come unto me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." It's like, it's like that. That's a spiritual rest, but that's an emotional rest. I mean, that's a holistic rest. You're not going to be fretting. You're not going to be weighed down. It's just going to be ah, oh, the burden's lifted. Why? Because Jesus is bearing that burden with me, and I, I just had to I had to. Do things like starting prayer times with praise rather than just starting with the problems, and 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 just reframe it and ask for that spiritual gift of faith, and 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 just retrain the things I was telling myself um, in terms of that thought pattern, just being problem centered all the time, uh, so that so that I, so that I'm 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 not as burdened emotionally. It's not a good way to live. Jesus said, "I'll give you rest."
0: before we go to prayer, maybe um, maybe you could sort of speak to this and then take us right into prayer. The, um, how, what are the tools that the gospel gives us, that our faith gives us, to reset these ways of thinking? If you resonate with these or you're seeing some of these, maybe a way that you could talk back to yourself and introduce right. a new way of thinking, a new narrative that is more truth true to the gospel, true to this faith we have, and then maybe that we could... Do that in a moment of prayer, just yeah, so that exactly. the Spirit would lead us into those true things.
1: Well, let's go through those four thinking patterns. So that's a fantastic question. First of all, performance-driven thinking. Uh, the gospel addresses my identity right out of the chute. I am loved by God in spite of my performance. Uh, the reference point for how I feel about myself is not rooted in my performance. It's rooted in the action of God towards me by giving a son to die in my place on the cross deserving none of it to the place where there's not a thing I could quote unquote do to make him love me more or make him love me less in the new covenant. I'm secure in him. I'm his child. That's the ultimate reference point. And then, and then the perfection driven thinking, uh, he becomes my perfection, right? I I don't have to make everything what I want it to be. He's the Lord of my life. He's sovereign. Uh, and other people aren't my problem they're god's problem i can just walk in that place of doing my best but but enjoying the perfectness of jesus and and his life and having that spirit of control that i just got to make everything perfect or if things don't meet my specifications, I'm, I'm not a happy camper. I mean, part of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus is a heart of the gospel as well. It just releases you from that. And then, and, and then, and then the, 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 that, that uh, whole area of people pleasing, you know, when, when you're loved by God and when His word is in your life, the, the gospel, the gospel means you don't have to have the last word and you don't have to like, be being liked by people either on the other hand it's like it's like uh it's like you're loved by christ you're a new creation in christ he is not fixing fix he's not causing you to fixate your attention on yourself the gospel will begin putting our attention on how we can care for others uh and we just we just know we won't please everybody but instead of people pleasing it's people caring that the gospel brings. He gives you a real new heart for people. And then and then the problem centered thinking, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that there is rest in Jesus. So I'd be I'd be happy to yeah, pray I think that that's way. Wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for the new creation. Thank you for gospel. Thank you for truth that sets us free. And I just pray, Lord, that you will help us with any level of performance uh drivenness in our lives. My God, some of us are just too driven. There's just I pray that the gospel will free us today. I thank you that the gospel means what I do or don't do can't can't deserve your love anyway and your grace. It's freely given to me, and I just pray grace to all of us, Lord. the The grace of we just say yes to the grace of Jesus, that that is completely independent. Of what we deserve or don't deserve or do or don't do, we pray Lord, those of us struggling with perfectionism, I pray we we'll just surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, Lord, you're the only perfect one and and my God, just give us that coping ability just to walk in the grace of jesus and 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 just not not always. that that controlling spirit that has to make everything and everyone around me perfect. My God, break that controlling spirit and let us live surrendered lives to you. We get to give up. We get to just let you be Lord because of the gospel. And we just pray father for your grace in our lives. Uh, When what people think has become too important, I thank you Lord that it's what you think of us. It's your love. It's your forgiveness. It's your security uh, that we walk in, in our lives. And so we just pray that you'll, you'll again shape our identities around that. And the Lord lift the problems, bear the yoke with us, we pray. My God, we get so burdened down with problems, but we thank you that we can be people of faith. Let the power of the Spirit give us that spiritual gift of faith to lift us up, Lord, until, Lord, our thinking is transformed and our feelings are different and we We just walk in the joy of the Lord. We just ask you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.